When vaping first became popular, it was no big deal. Nowadays, all the news stories related to vaping will make you question even that one time you tried your friend's jewel pen. In the past few weeks, Massachusetts announced a four-month ban on selling vape products and declared a public health emergency. Some vaping companies are scaling back their lobbying efforts and even shutting down advertising in print, broadcast, and digital. I mean, this is huge. It's Washington. Half my neighbors are lobbyists. With such drastic measures being taken both by government and companies selling these products, it begs the question, what's the deal with vaping? From the Aspen Institute, I'm Amina Akhtar. This is Aspen Insight. Earlier this summer, I had a conversation with internationally recognized anti-tobacco experts Deborah Arnott and Matthew Myers at the Aspen Ideas Health Conference. A lot has happened since then, including several deaths and hundreds of cases of lung injury. The tricky thing to remember is that some of these injuries are related to marijuana vape cartridges, while some of them are related to nicotine vape cartridges. Deborah Arnott is the chief executive for Action on Smoking and Health in the United Kingdom, and Matthew Myers is the president of the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids in the United States. Here's our conversation. Today we have Matthew Myers and Deborah Arnott in the studio. I'm going to admit I am a former smoker. I have quit, um, but I also have tried the Jewel. It was very attractive. You can find it almost anywhere. You can fit it in your pocket. I can really see the danger, especially with people who don't know the harms of tobacco. Um, So, yeah, I mean, um, smoking is highly addictive. You defined um, e-cigarettes as tobacco, and in legal terms it is in the U.S., but not in the U.K., Um, our medicines regulator would see it as another form of um, nicotine replacement therapy like patches and gums Mm -hmm. because it doesn't have tobacco in it, it's not combustible, um, and it's a product largely used by smokers to quit smoking. In our experience in the U.S., as you know, um, unfortunately with Juul in particular, Uh um, it's quite different. Um, Since Juul was introduced in 2015, we have seen an extraordinary growth in youth use of nicotine-based products. Um, you know, many of the e-cigarettes before Juul didn't deliver nicotine very effectively, and therefore large numbers of kids would experiment and then move on. Juul delivers nicotine more effectively than even a cigarette. Um, and as you've noted, it comes in sweet flavors. Um, it's not harsh to inhale. Um, There's no odor on your breath. There's no Mm -hmm. smell on your clothes. Um, And and unfortunately, um, while we think of these products as potential aids to help people quit, Juul marketed them using images and social media identical to what the tobacco companies did for decades to addict kids. And it worked. Absolutely. And and that's the real problem that we've found here is um, among some of us, we have an intellectual debate. Um, Can e-cigarettes be helpful to assist adults to quit? It's a very important debate, and there is potential for that to happen, although we haven't seen it particularly in the U.S. The problem is, in the absence of rigorous regulation, companies like Juul have designed marketing and products that are extraordinarily attractive to kids. And what we're seeing is not only large numbers of them across the board, but it, um, the numbers now are roughly 25 to 30% of the kids who are using Juul 
um, are using it with such frequency that it has all the signs of a potent addiction. And if we don't get a handle on that quickly, we'll pay a price in the long term. So I just come in first Absolutely. of all on um, whether Juul is as addictive as smoking, because data I've seen presented at a, a reputable international conference shows that while it might be equivalent to smoking, it's certainly no more addictive or, or more fast acting than um, uh, than smoking. Uh, on the issue of whether it helps adult smokers mm -hmm. quit, well, certainly we're seeing that in the UK. We're seeing that at population level. Not with Juul necessarily, but with other No, e with e-cigarettes e and a whole e range of e-cigarettes, mm -hmm. including... Well, they've got the um, blue, that's popular yeah, one. Yeah, and Logic, a whole mm -hmm. range of things. But anyway, uh, so the best estimates are that they led to an extra 60,000 long-term quitters last year mm -hmm. in the UK. That's at population level using a whole range of products. Um, and then a clinical study published very recently showed that um, e-cigarettes were twice as uh, effective as traditional um, licensed medicinal nicotine patches mm. and gums and that sort of thing. So we're certainly seeing it as being helpful. And, and we also do big surveys. Um, we do an annual survey of about 12,000 yeah. adults. And um, what that show, survey shows is that um, e-cigarettes are almost entirely used by adults to help them quit and prevent relapse back to smoking. They're used by very few um, people who've never smoked. Um, and where they are, it's mainly to give it a try. Mm. And our youth survey, which has been published most recently, shows the same thing, that you know they're not being used by youth that haven't smoked before. Um, levels of trial amongst all young people aged 11 to 18 are about 15%, but regular use is much, much lower than that. And amongst never smokers, um, we found no um, never smokers who'd, um, who were using them on a daily basis and almost none on a weekly basis. So The experience in the U.S. is really quite different. Absolutely. Um, so on that, I wanted to ask yeah. about advertising in particular. Well, see, th there are differences between the U.S. The, the U.K. is unique. Um, and, it, and it potentially does provide a model for the circumstance under which e-cigarettes may be helpful. Um, but they're not replicated by any other country. So in the United States, um, we're not able to ban all marketing of these products. In the UK, all forms of advertising, including TV advertising, social media advertising, are prohibited. In the United States, Juul and other e-cigarette companies have used the very same images um, that cigarette companies used to use to make these products appealing and attractive to kids. Um, and it comes at a time in the United States when we have reduced cigarette smoking among kids, our top goal, um, to record lows. Um, in four states in the United States, cigarette use among high school students is under 4%. That's remarkable. Wow. Um, under 12 states, it's under 7%. But what we've seen is a rapid uptake of e-cigarettes, and it's particularly by kids who are at the lowest risk of smoking. It would be one thing if we were talking about kids who are at high risk of smoking who are using these instead of cigarettes. That might actually be a good thing if that was the case. Instead, what we're seeing is the kids who are at high risk of smoking are still smoking. The kids who are at low risk of smoking in very large numbers are using Juul in similar products, and they're using them in ways that cause real concern. Um, so we're getting a very high number of kids who have never used any tobacco product using e-cigarette. We're seeing an uptick in young adults, 20 to 26, who have never smoked using e-cigarettes. Um, and in the last two years, we've seen the change in the use 
of these products in ways that are disturbing. We've seen a doubling of the number of kids who are using them with sufficient frequency as to be indicia of addiction. So, you know, it's, it's a really interesting question. In the UK, they have very rigorous regulation of marketing to prevent the kind of imagery. They prohibit even the display of cigarette packs. They have very strong warnings on cigarette packs that we don't have here. And there are quite severe limits on nicotine levels so that the products that are delivering the most nicotine to our kids are illegal in the UK. Um, as somebody who works across the globe, Unfortunately, what I see is the American experience is much more typical than the UK experience. We have a great deal to learn from the UK, but one of the lessons is if you've got government that has strong regulations and a real strong push to reduce cigarette use, e-cigarettes might be helpful. If you don't have those types of regulations and the companies have free reign in terms of how they market, how they make the product, to whom they sell it, then we have a potential real long-term problem. I've got some packs here. So you've brought some what, examples. Can you see them? Is that okay? Right, this is Marlboro in the US. Mm -hmm. This is Marlboro in the UK. And we have all sorts of different Marlboro packs. I mean, I've just brought two along. So there's one, smoking causes heart attacks, smoking reduces fertility. Mm -hmm. You know, you can only see that the, the name of the product is in 14 um, point Helvetica. In fact, no, I think it's 12 point, but it's tiny anyway. You know, you can barely tell what it is. So, yeah, we have much more strict regulation of tobacco, yeah. and that is absolutely essential. You know, basically, it's smoking that's the problem, not e-cigarettes. And you want to regulate um, uh, tobacco marketing first and foremost. Um, and I think within that context, e-cigarettes can work as a product. E-cigarette advertising isn't completely banned in the UK, um, uh, but all, um, as Matt pointed out, broadcast media, internet, and um, press um, advertising is banned. Mm -hmm. The only advertising that's allowed is at point of sale and on buses and billboards. Um, but even when there was a free reign to advertising between 2010 and 2015, when e-cigarette use grew most rapidly in the UK, um, uh, we didn't see a growth in youth use. So I think it's that broader regulatory environment that's important. It's not just about e-cigarette advertising. The other thing that um, I think we disagree on is about um, how serious nicotine addiction is. Mm -hmm. And um, I think uh, my view would be, I was asked recently, um, just this morning, in fact, you know, how I'd feel if my children had come home um, using e-cigarettes, using nicotine. And uh, my answer would be, well, my son's now in their mid late 20s, but when they were teenagers, I worried a lot about them because I knew what I did as a teenager. <laughs> and they're boys, so it's even worse. Um, but I worried about them drinking too much and actually dying from um, acute alcohol poisoning or getting into fights or using illegal drugs, um, all of these things. And in fact, you know, if they'd come home and they'd been vaping, I wouldn't worry too much because it's a very boring drug. I'd worry more about them taking up horse riding or rock climbing, both of which are much more dangerous than vaping. So teenagers will experiment. I'd rather my kids experimented with vaping than with um, many, many other things. One of the things that's important to understand is our efforts to reduce cigarette smoking among kids in the United States is one of the great public health success mm -hmm. stories. In the last 20 years, um, we have seen high school cigarette smoking rates drop from over 36% to just barely over 8% today. Um, and we've seen the kids who use it use it less frequently. Um, and in many states, we've seen even a smaller number of kids who've used it. What's troubling 
is that among the population of kids who we have immunized against cigarette smoking are now beginning to use Juul and similar products because of their image. Not just that it's not as risky as cigarette smoking, but in many cases because they think it's totally risk-free. Um, and a recent poll showed that 25% of the kids who use Juul aren't even aware that it contains nicotine. Unfortunately, they find out too late. Much of the data before the introduction of Juul needs to be put aside. The people at Juul figured out how to deliver high levels of nicotine more efficiently, more effectively. Um, and so there was a study that came out just this week that showed that in both the U.S. and Canada, um, kids who use these products are using them with the same frequency that we saw among kids use cigarettes, which means a much higher risk of addiction. The data was different in the U.K. Now, in the U.K., Juul has um, much, much lower levels of nicotine than we have in the United States. Whether that's the answer or not, I don't know the, the question to it. But what it says is the concern about youth uptick is real um, in the United States. And I've seen it real in other countries in which it works. And it's not an experiment that we should allow to go on without strong action to prevent it. Yeah, and I think certainly it needs strict regulation, but there are some kids for whom actually nicotine is helpful, kids with ADHD, for example, and we know that um, people with um, psychotic illnesses find nicotine helpful too. It may be helpful in Parkinson's disease, there's work going on on that. Um, but I mean, again, I go back to, I, would I really be worried if my kids became addicted to nicotine? So I want to bring something up. Um... I did not grow up in America, so I grew up abroad. So one thing I noticed while being a smoker yeah. were the social attitudes towards smoking. Yeah, very so different. I noticed when I was abroad, when I would visit England, um, it's very casual. Everybody's smoking. It's not a big deal. And then when I came back to America for college, it was this big thing. Well, you know, it's, it's one of the great reasons why cigarette smoking in the United States has dropped to the levels that it has. Um, uh, the pop public education campaigns, the comprehensive approach, have resulted in cigarette smoking no longer being cool. Um, and kids increasingly understand that it was the cigarette companies who conned them into believing that it was cool. Uh, that's the kind of campaign that works. It's the kind of campaign that is working, by the way, in some places with e-cigarettes as well. One of the concerns that people like I have are that it's the cool kids who are using Juul. And if it's the cool kids today who use it, that will slide down to be the others. The other thing that I think is really important is that in the United States and in other countries, cigarette smoking increasingly has become an addiction of low-income, less well-educated individuals. It's a major cause of health disparities. Juul, unfortunately, isn't helping with that. It's not those kids who are using it. And the concern is it's also diverting attention from the real effort that we need to be making in order to reduce tobacco use among those remaining populations. And in the United States, it's low income, less well-educated, less employed, people with serious symptoms of mental illness, um, people from the LGBT community, all of whom the cigarette companies have taken advantage of over the years. What's disturbing is that we don't see any difference in how the e-cigarette companies 
are approaching these problems as well. They're not doing it with the kind of social conscience, the kind of targeting in the effort to reach the populations who are most in need. That would be a different discussion. Well, um, I think basically they're profit making. They're just like, you know, the tobacco industry is not different from any other industry. It's just it makes products that kill. Um, Which is you know, hopefully different. Well, it is hopefully <laughs> different. But, you know, the, 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 the denial, deceit and delay that the tobacco industry used, those tactics, that playbook is, uh, was used by the fossil fuel companies on um, climate change denial, is used by every other company. And the sort of promotional tactics that e-cigarette companies use all consumer product companies use. So I think that's, you know, that's why there's a role for government regulation. Um, I think on the issue of inequalities, Matt's quite right. I mean, in the UK, smoking accounts for half the difference in life expectancy between the rich and poor in our com in our country, and it's probably similar in the US. Um, and uh, as a result of that, I mean, actually, e-cigarettes do have a role to play. And I think they're playing a bigger role in the UK than they are in the US. Um, and whether jewels relevant, we're seeing them being used by poorer people because actually it's cheaper than smoking in the UK. We have very high taxes um, and uh, vaping is cheaper than smoking. So people are using them from poorer and disadvantaged um, communities and price differential is an important way of making that happen. Yeah. But it's within that broader context of tobacco regulation that you need high taxes, you need to ban advertising promotion and sponsorship of tobacco products, um, you need to have smoke-free laws, you need to um, have public education campaigns, you need to have packaging and labelling of the sort I showed you uh -huh. from the UK, which the US has signally been unable to implement so far. So so it's that context, and within that context, e-cigarettes have a role to play. You know, in a very real way, you, you frame the debate in, in an important way. E-cigarette companies left to their own, as we've seen in the United States, will maximize their profit at the sake of public health. Yeah. And in the United States, they've done it with their marketing to kids, um, with um, their efforts to expand their market without regard to who uses it or without regard to what consequences. What about the uh, the politicians? And, mm -hmm. and they've done it um, because they have engaged in exactly the same political behavior the tobacco companies have done. They have opposed every form of regulation. They've not only threatened lawsuit, they've engaged in lawsuits against our regulatory bodies in doing so. Um, and if they spent half the money on, on public education or research as they do on lobbyists, um, we would be having a very different conversation today. The important thing for me is, at least in the United States, until our regulatory system changes and is able to deal with these issues, we have to deal with a company who has demonstrated that it will do whatever it can to maximize its profit without regard to public health. You know, um, we didn't learn that secondhand cigarette smoke was harmful for decades and decades because it takes a long time for the epidemiological evidence to be derived from that. We shouldn't find ourselves in 20 years with regard to e-cigarette smoking. We have laws that protect people against indoor smoking. Um, in the United States, I think it's very important that we continue to do that. Those laws have dual benefits. They not only provide public health protection, but they create a social norm that has helped reduce smoking among both adults and young people. Um, now the, Taking action that undercuts that um, in the long run is something that I think we will live to regret. Uh, and, and therefore, I think it's really important. Unfortunately, in the United States, increasingly, we're seeing that the rules say um, indoors, you should be able to breathe clean air. Outdoors, if somebody wants to smoke that's a, or use e-cigarettes, e that's a separate question. It seems like there's an overwhelming 
agreeants that the data simply is not there yet and that there needs to be more time before we can flat out say vapes aren't that harmful. You know, Look, nothing's harm, harmless. Nothing is risk-free. You can't say that. Um, but actually, there is sufficient evidence, as Nassim said and our Royal College of Physicians said, to know that the magnitude of risk compared to smoking is is much, much lower. And we're, we're, we're talking about very large orders of magnitude, not just a, a, a tiny variance in risk. Mm -hmm. And the point is that actually smoking is so harmful. It's the most harmful thing you can do. It's the most harmful legal product in existence, you know, which when used as intended, actually kills all half of all long-term users, losing on average about 10 years of life and many years more from disease and disability to do with cancer, particularly lung cancer, mm -hmm. but lots of other cancers, cardiovascular disease, strokes, vascular uh, problems, as well as heart attacks um, uh, and respiratory disease, particularly COPD, which is particularly horrible because your lungs use their, lose their elasticity, mm -hmm. so you effectively drown to death. Um, as Deborah said, um, e-cigarette companies are there to maximize pub their profit, not public mm -hmm. health. So our position is, is that they should be forced to comply with the law. FDA should use the authority which Congress has given it to evaluate those products so that if I'm a smoker, I know what's in these products. I know whether there's any evidence that these products will actually help me quit with regard to that. So if I'm a parent, I can provide accurate, honest, and complete information to my children. Um, if I'm a school principal, I can be in the same place. The only reason we're not in that position in the United States is because of the strength of the lobby of the e-cigarette companies preventing the Food and Drug Administration from, from acting. And I have to admit, as both a parent and as a public health person, I don't want to reward them for that. I want our government to do its job, protect us, so that if you're a smoker, you get accurate and meaningful information. So I could sit here all day and talk to you guys about this because this is fascinating. But I would like to ask you guys for your last comments, specifically where you think it will go in both the UK and the US and also how it will affect the youth. Well, first of all, I'd like to put it in that broader global context, which we started off by, by talking about, which is that um, there is still a global tobacco epidemic. Mm. It's coming to the end in the UK and the US, which is where it started. Um, but in the rest of the world, it's still growing. We're seeing 8 million people dying a year. 100 million people died from smoking in the 20th century. It could be a billion on current um, uh, trends in the 21st. And we need to do something about that. And we do it by regulating tobacco, by getting rid of advertising, by um, enabling smoke-free laws, by changing packs and labeling, by um, you know all these things which we know work and which will work globally. And I don't think e-cigarettes have a role to play in most countries, but they do at the countries like the UK and the US, where we're at the end of the epidemic and where most people who are still smoking are very disadvantaged and tend to be heavily addicted and I think their e-cigarettes have a role and yes we need to worry about youth uptake but we need to worry more about um, adult smokers and helping them quit and e-cigarettes definitely from our experience in a properly regulated environment have a significant role to play because make no mistake over the next 50 years most deaths are going to occur in current smokers not in young people who have yet to start smoking. Thank you, Deborah. Um, for me, it's not a trade-off between youth and adults. Um, it is a recognition that in the UK, 
right now is the exception, not the rule. Very few countries have the complete regulatory capacity or system that the UK has. In a country as sophisticated as the United States, what we have seen is these products marketed in ways to um, maximize the profit of the companies um, without regard to the public health impact. That the epidemic of youth among youth is real, it's growing, um, and it's not just kids experimenting, it's kids becoming hooked because the newest, latest version of e-cigarettes, those by Juul and, and lookalikes, um, are highly addictive in ways that e-cigarettes weren't before. So there's a critically important lesson there, which is if you don't have those constraints, then you will see these e-cigarette companies do this. It's not kids versus adults, because the industry's opposition to any meaningful regulation in the United States has meant that the science hasn't been produced that would help a smoker who wants to quit know which of these products do so under what set of circumstances and which of these products actually depress smoking because we do have data is to show that some of these products um, lead to high levels of dual use, uh, actually decrease the number of people who smoke. Um, as long as you're in a country that doesn't have the kind of regulation that the UK has, that unless you can put those regulations in place, then you need to take be very clear that e-cigarettes pose a real risk to the progress you're making on reducing cigarette smoking um, and will not have the desired impact among adults because adults won't be able to figure out which of these products, if any, are actually helpful to them in quitting. You know, the other thing, too, that I want to say is my organization, like Deborah's organization, spends 90% of our effort reducing cigarette smoking. Um, we have seen in the last six years um, in low and middle income countries across the globe for the first time in history, cigarette smoking rates actually going down and going down in very significant ways with regard to that. A responsible e-cigarette company that submits to meaningful regulation might be able to increase that rate, but that's not what they're trying to do. And what we're afraid of and what we're concerned about is that in the absence of the kind of controls we see in the UK, they will interrupt the progress that is being made for the very first time. In, the, in India, for example, and in Bangladesh, for example, smoking rates, tobacco use rates in the last five years have declined by about 20%. That's extraordinary. Um, we don't want to see these companies come in and interrupt that progress that has been made by all of the hard work that is going on. A couple of takeaways. Matthew Myers telling me that vaping companies in the United States are mirroring techniques that big tobacco has used for decades. And Deborah are not talking about the United Kingdom standards with regulations and banning advertising. I recently followed up with Deborah to get her thoughts on the lung injuries and deaths in the United States. She said the following. After hundreds of cases of serious breathing problems and a small but growing number of deaths linked with use of e-cigarettes in the U.S., it's understandable that the U.S. authorities are recommending people stop vaping. However, in the U.K., e-cigarettes containing nicotine are regulated by our medicines authority, and to date, we're not seeing anything like the same problems as the U.S., our medicines regulatory monitors adverse reactions through the same yellow card reporting system it uses for medicines. And if there were serious cause for concern, it would take the necessary action and warn vapors. 
She went on to say her big concern is that vapors will be scared back into smoking cigarettes. We'd love to know your opinion on vaping. Do you agree on the effectiveness of vapes as a smoking cessation tool? Have you yourself used vapes to quit smoking cigarettes? Or is this a risk for the general public health? Let us know what you think about the issue on Twitter by using hashtag AspenInsight. On the next episode, I'll be talking to health reporter Margo Singer-Katz from the New York Times to better understand what Medicare for All is and why it's such a hot topic for the 2020 election. Thank you to my colleagues who made this episode possible. Hisham Abdelhamid, Ben Berliner, Ben Eiler, Marcy Krivenin, Shereen Matthews, Aaron Myers, Erica Van Boxtel, and Matt Winholtz. Subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcast and follow at Aspen Institute on Twitter and Instagram to stay up to date with our work. Thanks for listening.